Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Father Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement, and I am Rector at Redemption Anglican Church in Frisco, Texas. Father Stephen, let's talk today about the Exodus story, obviously one of the most famous stories in the Bible where the people of Israel are saved by God from Egypt. But, you know, we know as believers, you know, and as as careful readers of the Bible, that the Bible really is a story about God. (laughs) Um, He's really the main character of of the story. And, you know, I, I know a lot of us have seen, you know, that movie like The Prince of Egypt that kind of depicts in a very kind of Disney sort of fashion how the the people of Israel are saved by God. God kind of comes in to help them, you know, escape uh, sl- slavery and, and oppression. And I, I think in a, in a way you can read it as though, you know, Moses and the Israelites, they're the main characters and God is sort of like, you know, the force that comes in and helps them out. Um, but actually, you know, we know in the Bible that this is really actually about God and how God does things um, for his own glory. So, Let's talk about the Exodus in that context. What are God's purposes? You know, first of all, maybe even we could just start with why does he even bring Israel to Egypt in the first place if they're going to if they're going to end up as slaves and stuff? You know, why would he take this route? You know, we did an episode previously about God's plan in in Genesis and how it's not exactly the clean uh, you know, narrative you'd, you'd think it would be, but it's entirely for God's purposes. So, so maybe we can talk about the Exodus in this way. What's God's purposes here and how should we read it and understand it in light of that? Well, Alex, you're so right. <clears throat> you're so right. A main theme of the Torah is that God is always the actor. He's always acting, never acted upon. He's always in charge. And he'll do things to let us know that no matter how things look, actually, this is all part of the plan. For example, he tells the patriarchs that, you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to be down in Egypt. There's going to be a time until you're, 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 they're going to be there for a few hundred years. You know, but I will bring them back up. So God's in control. So why go to Egypt in the first place? After all, Abram was there in the land. You know, then Abraham, he was there in the land, the land God had promised him. So why this detour? There must be some reason for this. Well, they need to take the, and there are only 70 of them when they go down to Egypt. God wants this, them basically to take the land by power, showing force, because they're representing God's people. They're not in a position to do that with 70 of them and all these other tribes. So the point is he's going to put them in a position where they will, in fact, be in a position to militarily take the land, take it from them. Also, we're told that they, they're the, they still hadn't sinned enough to justify their being out of the land. That was going to happen, but they had not fulfilled up the full measure of their iniquity, we're told. Hmm. So basically, the thing is, how do we get from 70 people taking, you know, that's just a, basically a big family. How do we go from 70 people taking a serious, serious real estate, you know, taking it, not being given it, you know, from, from the others, taking it by force, Okay, and so that's what the purpose of Egypt is, because 430 years later, there are 600,000 men who will leave. So if by those numbers, it'd be 2 million people. 
So a lot has happened in 430 years. So the uh, first thing we have there is Egypt is going to be the place where Israel actually builds up its strength, where it will become a nation. Okay, so I mean, that that explains the, you know, excursion to Egypt. But why why would the Lord allow them to fall into slavery? Well, two reasons. That's a really good point because nothing's accidental. Is the first, we start from the beginning, they go down the, the key danger throughout the history of Israel is assimilation. Especially when you go into a superior culture. They're, they're herders and things. Well, this is one of the world's great cultures at this time, you know, Egypt. Normally, people assimilate into the higher culture. So that's the real danger. And so we make it a point that they are going to go to Goshen. They will be kept separate and that they'll be seen as a threat, which will mean the Egyptians will not be tempted to assimilate them, which is the normal thing. You intermarry, you assimilate, and you disappear. That will not happen to them. And secondly, it makes them tougher. They're going to, they have to be turned somehow into really an army. And you, you don't want to think of hundreds of thousands of accountants going out. I say that as a CPA. Uh, <laughs> and so one thing we're told, for example, with Pharaoh, remember the midwife? And they say, you have to understand our women are pretty, pretty tough. You know, they all did very hard physical work. And so they were physically tough. He said, you know, we, the, the kids are born by the time we get there. You know, the Hebrew women are not. Yeah. Women. Yeah. They're too strong. <laughs> yeah. They're not yeah. doing uh, multi-level marketing schemes or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Israelite women are do real work. So basically this time he's turning them into, they'll be ready to become an army when they leave Egypt. Actually, they're going to, they're going to, they're, they'll be, they'll really, they're tough. They've done their basic training and they're completely unassimilated. They were rejected because they were shepherds. They lived separately. And so this is a way that God preserves them because the greatest danger will have the same thing when they come to the land of Canaan is sort of blending in with what they might consider to be more technically advanced groups of people. Okay, so, yeah, so wow. So, you know, God takes them out of the lands, you know, basically in order to grow them up into a big nation and make them physically strong. I, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Um so um, let's talk about how God deals with the Egyptians. How is this accomplishing his purposes? Well, a critical thing we have with God's glory, uh, the notion we have in the, in, the, in the Torah is that, you know, we have to make it clear God has a reputation to protect as <laughs> part of his glory. And it looks like he's their God and he can't, it doesn't look like he's doing a great job protect, perhaps to an outsider. You know, we have all our gods of Egypt and your people are just slaves here. So it's going to have to be clear that this is all that God has always remained in control. So it's got to be dramatic that this can't be an escape. This is not going to be, no, this has got to be a full military victory. Okay. So this got to be clear to everybody that this wasn't, well, we had these people here. It didn't work out for them. Good riddance. You know, we just, you know, out, out they go and no one, no one the worse is God's going to have to demonstrate his power. That's why we talk about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. We don't want Pharaoh to say yes. Otherwise, it would look like, okay, we're done. Let's just move on. No, it has to prove that God takes care of his people. And God is going to do this by force to demonstrate that. You know, he's going to go out by force. So he hardens his heart. Also, I love this. Uh, Pharaoh puts this in the point to make us clear in case we'd miss this as a direct challenge. It's sort of funny and the story's written in a way that's sort of amusing. Because when he comes, he says, what God's name? And he, he gives God's name and he says, well, who's Yahweh? I don't know him. Can't be important. 
Basically, that's yeah, what he says. He right. says, I don't know who he is, and I would know any God who's important. So he dismisses God as he can't be important. And so we have constant theme throughout telling the story is, oh, he'll know who I am. He won't have to ask when we finish. <laughs> You're right. Every time, you know, God talks to Moses about the next thing he ought to do, he says, you know, then Pharaoh will know that I am Yahweh, and that's God's proper name. I'm Yahweh. He said he didn't know me. I couldn't be important because he didn't know me. Well, by the time he goes, he'll know who I am. Hold hold my beer, yeah. as it were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. And he says, that to make it really delicious, he's going to say, not only is he going to permit you to leave, he's going to beg you to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, you know, look, we're not just going to, take the settlement with Pharaoh here. We're going to take it all. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're coming for all of it. <laughs> I guess, I guess the lesson is, um, don't, uh, don't ignore Yahweh. <laughs> don't, no, it's sort of like we have with Sennacherib famously challenging, you know, who's your God? All the other gods haven't helped their people directly challenge God. Like he's just like one of their gods. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. doesn't turn out well for Sennacherib. A yeah. direct challenge. Who is God that I should worry about him? Well, we're going to find out. But that's said again and again and again in the story. Oh, then they will know that I'm Yahweh. They'll know mm -hmm. who I am. But still, it still might look, I think we still have a problem. It still might look that, yeah, they get out, but that, that's not so great after 430 years. So they, they leave, big deal. So we need a military victory, right? The only way to show an honor in, in an ancient world was military might. So how are we going to do this? They're not in a position yet to fight. So God's going to fight for them. And how's okay. he going to do it? God's going to do all the fighting. First of all, he's going to actually destroy their army. That's the whole purpose. It's not getting away. Matter of fact, he, he brings them there to the Red Sea so that he will trap them. It's like a mouse trap to get them to go into the sea so the entire army can be destroyed. Remember the next mm -hmm. day the bodies wash up. In the, so it's, it's a military victory. That's normal after a victory. It's a military victory. God wins the victory. So, and this is a different flavor entirely than if it was just an, uh, you know, an amicable, yeah, sure, yeah. you guys can go. It, you might, the, it, that might give the impression that the Israelites sort of owe the Egyptians something or, or uh, that the Egyptians are still on top. They just sort of decided. No, they had to show uh, that we, yeah. we went head to head. Uh, at one point to talk about, you know, God sort of takes on the gods of Egypt and we show who won. And I mean, they won, there's no question. And also to show that this is a victory, that we might miss this is in the ancient world, how did you pay for wars? It was a real tough thing. I mean, because, you know, in subsistence agriculture and it was booty, you took loot. So they loot the Egyptians before they leave. Remember they take the gold and so they don't leave empty handed. That's another proof of a military victory. If they won, how come I have all their stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I I mean I I guess I see how that you know, things being arranged this way, things working out this way really does um that recommends the name of Yahweh much higher than um things working out another way might yeah. do. Unless we miss the point. Um one of the things we see throughout the Old Testament is what happens after a battle when the men come back. It's sort of like when Johnny comes marching home again, when I guess when Issachar comes marching home again, is the women come out to sing victory songs. We even mentioned this at Sinai when they're, they're coming down and Joshua says, are those victory songs? Uh, 
They weren't. You know, are those victory songs? Or that's what women always do. So the women come out after, you know, after the, the Red Sea thing, the women come out with the victory songs. You know, the song of Moses there. It says Miriam leads them, you know, in this. That's what women always do. That's a sign that every sign of victory, we left with booty. There's a bunch of dead bodies we walked over, so to speak. And the women have come out to meet the victors. This is a military victory. We didn't just, we didn't escape Egypt. Our God took them on and they're crushed. Okay. So this is sort of giving God glory at the expense of the Egyptians, right? But I suppose, you know, the Israelites well relatively, you know, weak position here also contributes to God's glory here. Like how, how could this possibly have happened if God wasn't involved? Yeah, we have to make it clear it wasn't that they were just so clever and good. So we have to make them utterly helpless at this great moment. In this sense, is God will do everything. They won't throw a rock, let alone a spear. In this entire episode at the Red Sea, they do absolutely, there's no indication of a single military thing they do. Nothing. They just, the best they do is stand still. Okay, but they don't do anything. So God gets all the glory. So there's no question who won this victory. Say, well, yeah, God helped. But you know, I was using my slingshot. No, no, God did a hundred percent of everything, which led to a danger though. God's plan wasn't to fight their battles for them. You know, he wants them to be part of this. It's going to be the conquest of his people. So he's got to tell them, he has to sort of train them. The next step here, he's got to train them that, yeah, I'm going to help you out, but I want you to understand even when you win, it's really me winning for you. So he's going to do something that occurs in a very beautiful way. It's the Amalekites. The Amalekites are people who actually live out there in the desert. And they're not thrilled about, you know, having all these people walking through. So they actually attack them in the desert. And what happens is, Moses goes up on this mountain, remember, with Hur and Aaron holding up his arms. And when Moses has his arms held up, they have victory. Joshua's leading the fight. He's their, he's their military guy. But whenever they put it down, no matter how good Joshua is, it, it, we're showing there's still a direct connection. Even though Israelites are doing the fighting successfully, it's a way of sort of sacramentally showing us they're fighting, but actually God's doing the fighting. You know, it's all coming through the power of prayer. That's where it's coming from. So even though in the first time you didn't do anything, you just sat around and watched, you know, waited for God to do his thing. You're going to do something now, but still fundamentally nothing has changed in the sense that you're, God is fundamentally the one winning this battle. Don't be yeah, confused. So, so the battle really does belong to, to the Lord here. Yeah, it's sort of like the Israelites are when you help your God, when, you, when you're a young kid and the first time your God, dad helps you do something like change the tire. Yeah, yeah, you're changing the tire. He's actually changing the tire. You know, holding the bolts right. <laughs> is not, <laughs> it's a start, you know, but don't have a confusion. He changed the tire. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know I've brought this up before, but it's kind of like, you know, Michael Jordan's teammate. I, gosh, I can never remember his name. I guess that's the point. But he was so funny when Jordan, uh, you know, broke the record for most, you know, points in a game. It was like, I don't know, 63 points or something like that. And then he said, yeah, I'll, I'll always remember this night as the night that I combined with Michael to score 65 <laughs> points, you know? <laughs> and that's always so the proper way we look at God's actions. It's always God. And sometimes we're going to, when Joshua comes, he'll actually see the angels, you know, the otherwise invisible, saying, never forget the fact that even though now it's less visible, I've given you this experience so that you know what the underlying realities are. This is from first to last the work of God.
Well, thanks, Stephen. This is, uh, uh, yeah, another really helpful, you know, kind of continuing of our series here about, you know, what's God's plan in all of this. Anything else you'd have uh, have for us on, you know, God's plan in Exodus to sum this up? Yeah, I think the best way to remember, we don't understand the story of Exodus or Genesis, for that matter, or, or the whole Torah. If we don't realize that what happened in Egypt isn't um, a contingency overcome, you know, like you're having a water in, water leak in your basement. This is not a contingency overcome. This is a plan fulfilled. This isn't the basement flooding. This is actually filling the pool. You know, this is a plan fulfilled. This is not a bug. This is a feature. That the victory from Egypt is not an escape. You know, we say, Pharaoh, let your good people go. He doesn't let them go. He's compelled. He begs them to leave and then is beaten in the battle. And then it's finally a prism for understanding how God works with Israel. Even when we seem to be helping God out, we have to realize it's an illusion in the sense that God is always the one doing the work. And these are fundamental spiritual truths to understand Torah, but also to understand all of the Bible. It's always God's work. Thanks so much, Father Stephen, and thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.